So I just have to acknowledge something that Pastor Phil said last week. Uh, he made a mention that, that the crazy people are the people who put up their Christmas decorations before Thanksgiving. I can say that I am one of those people, so I will vouch to say that that is true. <laughs> but this Sunday is that one Sunday a year where we celebrate the birth of Jesus but we are also celebrating the gift of communion as well. So in trying to choose a passage that would closely tie to Advent and also communion, John 3.16 kept coming to mind. Now, I'm not sure if that was because I went through a Wana Kids Club when I was younger of the Holy Spirit moving, but I'll just say it was a combination of the both. So the title for the sermon is called The Greatest Gift. It's obviously to illustrate the verse, but gifts and consumerism have also been on my mind this past week. Did everyone hear that Black Friday and uh, Cyber Monday was the most profitable uh, in history? Which shouldn't really be a shocker within our consumeristic culture. But John 3.16 is also a verse about gifts. The greatest gift that we have ever received Lots of people can probably quote it from memory. If you were to ask people to recite a verse or to give reference of a scripture or ask if they have heard of John 3.16, they would probably say yes. You will see signs at sporting events and that many of the signs will say John 3.16 on them. Many people might not know the verse itself, but they know and most likely have seen John 3.16. So a fun fact about John 3.16 is that it is the verse that evangelist Billy Graham always quoted before microphone checks on broadcast news and at speaking engagements. When asked, Mr. Graham, can you test your mic? He would always respond with, for God so loved the world. It was his way to get a piece of evangelism even if Jesus did not come up on air, and his way of making sure that everyone who was conducting the sound check heard the gospel message. The reason why this verse is so popular, and so many people know it, is because it summarizes the Bible in one verse. It summarizes the message of the gospel in one verse. And it shares the hope that people can have in Jesus Christ in one verse. Before we begin today, let's open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your word and the gift of salvation that is found in your Son. Lord, I pray that you would open up our eyes to a verse that might be very familiar. Lord, may you provide us new insights, um, various things that, uh, that you don't open up our eyes through the power of your Holy Spirit as we open your word and we read more about who you are. We love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we dive into the text, I want to provide some historical and theological context to the passage. So context-wise, where John chapter 3, verse 16 finds itself is immediately after a very interesting conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus. 
So Nicodemus is a Pharisee of the law. He's a teacher of the law who is genuinely interested in what Jesus has to say. Jesus tells Nicodemus that no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And Nicodemus is thinking of a physical sense and then questions how someone can enter their mother's womb again. But Jesus is not talking about things in a physical sense. To illustrate his point, Jesus quotes an odd story from the book of Numbers, chapter 22, in the Old Testament. Number tw- chapter number 21. Chapter 21. So this is a story where the Israelites grew impatient with God, which is kind of a common theme in the Old Testament. And sometimes it is with us as well. But what happens next is very interesting. Listen here. Out of Numbers, chapter 21, verses 16 through 19. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look to it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then, when anyone was bitten by the snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. So this may seem like a very odd story in itself, but when Jesus interprets the story and connects it with himself, he said, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. The odd story in the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers, makes sense. The larger picture is now here. The pieces of the puzzle have been connected and been put together. Look to Jesus, believe in him, and you will live. That is a context of verses 1 through 15, briefly summarized. And now we'll move on to verse 16. Let's all say this together since it's on the screen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world. Let's focus on that part right now. So the word love can mean so many different things. It is unfortunate that our English language has only one word for love, right? I can love God. I can love my wife. I love my son. I love Chipotle. I love my family. I love the weather. I love music. These are all distinct kinds of love that are generally distinguished by the item that you have love for. In the Greek language, the one that this passage was written in and all of the New Testament was written in, there are four different words that are used for love. So, first, there's eros, which is the word for intimate, romantic, 
love, the kind between a husband and a wife. And then the next one is phileo or philea, which is a term for deep friendship, right? So Philadelphia is known for the city of brotherly love. Yep, so it's fascinating to see those kinds of connections within our language. So the third kind of love is called storge, which means family love, the love that you might have between family members or parent or a child. And then the fourth kind of love is known as agape love, which this is the unconditional, sacrificial love, commonly referred to the love that God has for us. And the word that is used in this passage is in John 3.16, is this agape love, that there is this unconditional love, this sacrificial love that God has for the world. It is not a conditional love, right? There are things, there are not things that we can do that will make God love us more, nor are there things that we can do that make God love us less. This is unconditional love. God still loves us even if we do not love him. It is not a love that is based on the response of the other party, which is truly unconditional and sacrificial love. Notice the word that is also that is before the word loved. God so loved. And the so is being used as an adverb right, grammar, language, <laughs> adverb, to showcase the great extent of God's love for us, right? So this love is directed towards something. So who is that party that the love is shown towards? It's the world, yeah. So the, God's love is shown towards the world. This unconditional love is directed towards every single person in the world. It is an all-encompassing love that God has for every person. And in using the word world, John is re referring to the people across the entire world. This love is not shown just to the Jewish people, but it is t shown towards the Gentiles as well, which is everyone, who is not the Jewish people, which is every single person. The Jewish people knew that God loved the Jewish people, but John is pointing out that God loves every single tribe, tongue, and nation. God loves the good people, and God loves the not-so-good people. So, so we take it one step further. There are two notions of the, word that, of the word world that John uses. So within this instance in the Gospel of John, he's showing that God loves the world with a selfless and sacrificial love. And then at the same time, in the letter of John, 1 John chapter 2, John instructs Christians to not love the world or anything in it. These are not contradictory ideas, but it is important to distinguish that we who are believers in Jesus are to not have a selfish love of participating in and with the sinful desires of the world. Whereas God has an unconditional, sacrificial love toward, toward the world while we, as believers, are called to be in, but not of the world. So moving on to uh, that he gave his one and only son. So the unconditional love that God has for us 
is displayed through the action of God giving his one and only son. The giving of the son is displayed first through the birth of Jesus, right? Jesus, born in a major, the eternal son of God, second member of the Trinity, made his dwelling among us. As we read in 1 John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is a story that we celebrate here during Advent or during the Christmas season. This is called the incarnation of Christ. And don't confuse that with carnation. That's a pink flower. The incarnation of Christ is when the eternal Son of God took flesh. He took on skin and bones and became one of us. Inside Mary's womb and born a helpless baby. So this is just such a confounding, surprising, and confusing reality right there. It is hard to understand, and it is hard to grasp. The God of the universe, right? The God of the universe. The same God that breathed the breath of life into the entire world was now dependent on breathing. So I came, this, I came to know this reality firsthand as I became a father this past year. And I can tell you from firsthand that babies are very, 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 very needy. They need everything. I have a picture up there. There's our wonderful son up there. So, right, they're dependent on you for everything, Right? Food, water, diaper, entertainment. Now our child Zephaniah is starting to crawl around. He's actually very dependent on us for survival. We can't take our eyes off of him for any given second because he loves to explore every single square inch of our house, especially those areas that we barricade for his own safety. He also wonders if everything can fit in his mouth. (laughs) Hashtag parenting life. But back to the scriptures. This is just such a mind-blowing reality that God would actually do this, send his son as a helpless baby to save us. As we read in Philippians 2, which is one of my favorite chapters, Paul is talking about Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used on his to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Bottom line, the God of the universe gave us his son by becoming one of us, the incarnation of Christ. And that is the first part in the giving of his son. The second part after the incarnation is the giving of Jesus on the cross. 
just as we read in John 1, John chapter 3, and also in Philippians 2. The Father sent his Son into the world, his one and only Son, one and only Son, emphasizing the importance of the love that the Father has for the Son. And Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. It wasn't just the death on the cross. Jesus, for our salvation, took on the sins of the world. It's what we read in 1 Peter 2 and in Isaiah chapter 53, that he bore our sins in his body, that we might be healed from our transgressions, that we might be saved from our sins. So to wrap up this point, I'll close with a personal illustration. So if you're a parent or a sibling or a friend or if you ever spent time with an infant that you love, you can resonate with this story. My one and only one-year-old son, Zephaniah, this past week, had a seizure this past Sunday, and we had to call an ambulance to take him to the children's ER in Minneapolis. So it was early last Sunday morning. Uh, Zephaniah had uh, spiked a fever to 104, overnight and woke up crying at 3.30 a.m. We gave him a lukewarm bath, a cold compress, and infant Tylenol, but his fever would not go down. We were going to give him Motrin at 8 a.m., but at 7.30, right before the next dose of medicine, he had what they called a febrile seizure, which is, as our ER doctor told us, is the body's response when a fever is too high for too long or rises too far too fast, or goes down really fast. It's really the body's way of protecting itself, but it is absolutely terrifying as a parent. My wife, Allison, was at home with him while I was here at church setting up for the morning when she called to tell me that he had a seizure and that their paramedics were there, and then Zephaniah had a second seizure with Allison and the EMTs, so they gave, her some, they gave him some anti-seizure medication, and then they loaded him up on the ambulance, complete with oxygen and his teddy bear. When I look at the photos of him in the ambulance, I tear up every time, and I can't look at the TVs right now, or else I wouldn't be able to finish. But Zephaniah has recovered, praise God, and we really have appreciated all of your support throughout this past week. It really does mean a lot to us. But... My main point in sharing all of this is that the sadness that I feel about Zephaniah having to go through two seizures and having to go to the ER hardly compares to the grief of the heart of the father looking down on his son, Jesus, taking away the sins of the world for our forgiveness on the cross. I can't imagine the grief but that is what John describes as the giving of his one and only son for our forgiveness of our sins. And praise God, we know as believers that the story doesn't end in a tragedy, but it ends in a celebration. Jesus rose from the grave and he conquered death. And through him, we receive newness of life. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. So we move on to the next point. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. 
The third and final point will bring us to the celebration of communion this morning. So this portion of scripture is the good news of the gospel, that all who believe in Jesus Christ, that all who place their faith in Jesus will have eternal life through him, through his work on the cross. He carries all of our sins, all of our wrongdoings, the wrongdoings that we have done, and all those things that we should have done, right? Those are the sins of commission and the sins of omission. They have been placed on the cross of Jesus. And all we have to do, as John states, is believe in him, and we will not perish, but we will have eternal life for those who believe. There are a few words to digest here. All right, so the word believe in Greek is pastuo, which means to trust, to place faith in, and to rely on. It's not just a mental assent, or it's not just a cognitive acknowledgement that Jesus existed. It's living out that conviction, right? So I can believe that a chair exists, but me placing my faith in the chair to hold my weight are two different things. When the text says, shall not perish, it is not saying that once you believe in Jesus that your physical body will not die. Everyone will physically die one day, but we are eternally alive in Christ, for it is by grace that we have been saved. This means that that there is life after our physical death. And what you believe about Jesus before that physical death impacts your eternity. And there are two paths. First, as we were just talking about, is perishing. And this verse refers specifically, specifically to that second death that is talked about. It's discussed in Revelation chapter 1, verse 28 which says, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all the liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. That is the second death. And that is the death. That is the perishing that John 3.16 is talking about. Whoever does not believe in Jesus... Whoever does not believe in the sacrifice of Jesus for their sins will perish. They will spend their eternity in hell, and that is what the perishing is talking about. Right? So this is not a fun subject to talk about, nor is it a culturally popular subject to talk about. But this is why the vision and the mission of our church is to connect others with God. Right, as Pastor Dominic has so emphatically discussed, there are thousands of people around our church who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And we want to see people come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior, to have abundant life in Him so that they will be saved from spending their eternity in hell. There is hope. Those who believe in Jesus will be saved from the fires of hell and snatched into the graces of heaven. 
Those who believe in Jesus will spend eternity in the new heavens and in the new earth with him. And that is what we read in Revelation 21 and 22. Heaven isn't just going to be us sitting on clouds and eating grapes off of a vine. That's Tom and Jerry, not the Bible. But when you read Revelation 21 and 22, you get a better picture of what heaven actually looks like, not from a cartoon. And we will see, we'll be in our resurrected bodies that are free from illness and they are free from, from sickness. And one of my favorite verses in a Christmas song that we just sang this morning is in Joy to the World is in verse 3, which states, No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessing flow far as the curse is found. This is one of my favorite verses because in the Advent season, we remember the birth of Jesus, yet it also has the anticipation of his second coming. The third verse of Joy to the World is speaking directly out of Revelation 22, a time that has yet to come. But this is when the Garden of Eden will fully be made new. It'll no longer be a garden, but you see that it is a city that has no more thorns, no more curses, no more sin, no more sorrow, and no more tears. And, the, and that the no more tears and pain that we face constantly in this life. And this is just what a glimpse of eternal life is like. I can't go over it all now. Read Revelation 21 and 22. That is your assigned homework for this week if I can assign homework. <laughs> but I would encourage you to do that just to see a small picture of what eternal life looks like after the physical death. So now, to close, we'll be moving into a time of communion when we get to remember that sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross and to remember and reflect on the greatest gift we've ever received and ever will receive, eternal life in Jesus and with Jesus Christ our Lord. So we are going to pass the elements in a moment, and if you are new here with us today, we celebrate communion regularly, just as Jesus instructed. Communion is open to anyone who professes faith in Jesus Christ. So if you are a visitor here with us today and you profess faith in Jesus Christ, you are more than welcome to join us in communion. If this is your first time making a commitment to receive Jesus into your heart and want to believe and trust in him, I'll lead you in a prayer in a moment. We take communion to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross. Communion is a reminder of our current union with Christ and our internal union with Christ. When we partake of the communion elements, that does not save us. It does not make us a Christian. But we are doing this to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross, the forgiveness of our sins for those who believe in the sacrifice of Jesus before we pass the elements out, let's just take a moment to confess any sins silently to God that we might be holding on to. So let's bow our heads in prayer.
Lord, we thank you for the gift of forgiveness that is found freely in your sacrifice on the cross and given so freely for those who call upon your name and trust you as the Savior. If you have not taken that next step yet, I wish to trust and want to trust Christ as your Savior, then please pray along with me. Lord, I am a sinner that is in need of a Savior, and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my life. I want to trust and follow you as my Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.